0: Bob, um, anything you want to add to what you've said?
1: Well, as Mike was um, in in your first talk, mm-hmm. as you were explaining how the Word of God um, forms the people of God and grows the people of God, I was struck with the fact that since the hero of the scriptures is christ that the people who are formed and grown are going to look like jesus they're going to smell like jesus exactly. you know and that's all that speaks to the to the gospel so as you were giving this this last talk on the functional centrality of the gospel and then i was thinking in terms of um the various components of the gospel uh, god gospel begins with god Uh, man, Christ, response. And those parts of the gospel give you all of these hooks that as you're looking at Scripture, um, it it, it helps you see, um, for example, ways in which to tie in, ways in which that particular text, whether it's an admonition or an example, where it ties into the gospel. And you can just always go I mean, almost at any point in the message or in a, in a counseling situation, um, in a conversation, you can always find mm-hmm. ways to get to the gospel. Mm-hmm. And because if you don't, then there's a, then there's a very clear sense which that sermon is wasted and uh, maybe even that conversation is wasted. So you, you do look for ways to get to the gospel in that. Mm-hmm.
2: Can I just add something there? One of the things that we've got to be ever so careful about is wanting to do that too quickly or heaven forbid for the wrong reason kind of to demonstrate our ability and so one of the things we have to factor in hugely in this is the Holy Spirit's ministry hmm. and so while you're talking to that person yes you're thinking or while you're putting that sermon together yes you're thinking but let let your ministry flow out of an active communion with God by the Spirit so that you're not rushing in and where, where is the opportunity for me to make this gospel connection and you're hunting instead of trusting that there's going to be an opportunity and a nudging of the spirit and at that moment making a connection. Otherwise, you're going to come off as the guy who's always hunting for the... In other words, the gospel mm-hmm. becomes a weapon or something to show off with rather than something to minister to people. So, yeah. Let
3: me add to that too many times have the answers let's begin with questions mm-hmm. people love questions and there we have very very much testament has said that the queries of God are more important than the answers of man mm-hmm. and I'm so
1: persuaded about that
2: mm. that's good that's good that's good mm-hmm. Jeff one other thought uh, yeah. just from something that Bob mentioned uh, I love these kind of discussions yeah. here just because things happen here that don't happen when one of us is talking. So this whole language of formation, it's, it's in your Bible. Um, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Earlier in Romans, um, Romans chapter 8, we have that wonderful section where we're being conformed to the image of his son. And so, I really appreciated your connection. If God is forming us by His word, what in fact he's forming us into is the image of his dear son, and it's right there in your Bible, that formation language so again it's mm-hmm. it's not something we're making up yeah. it's uh it's here
4: yeah.
1: you know, as you were talking also about some of the um imperatives of Flee sexual immorality. Mm -hmm. All right. And those imperatives, particularly in the epistle literature, come after the gospel presentation. And I I love how Paul, particularly in Ephesians and in Colossians, uses that language of put off and put on. And when I originally um, was reading that many, many years ago, I was thinking in terms of, well, if you're going to get somebody to help change what they're doing, they've got to stop this kind of behavior. But if they stop that behavior, then there's going to be a void in their life. Mm -hmm. And so what they need to do is, you know, like the the guy who used to take his hands and steal. And uh, man, if I just say to him, stop stealing, we know what you need to do. You need to go and you need to get a workbench and you need to start putting things together you need to take your hands and 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 start making things and all I was doing was basically replacing one idol with another idol i wasn't there was nothing about the gospel in that and that language that paul uses in ephesians is actually the application of justification and so just as christ took on our sin and gave us his righteousness that's when Paul says, okay, live that out. Put off. Make that, make that happen in your life. Put off your sin. Put it off and put on the righteousness of Christ. So all of a sudden, the imperatives have a gospel power that is behind them. And it's not behaviorism anymore. It's looking to the cross to live out the, the flavor of the gospel in my life. Sixty
3: years ago when I was a teenager, I was going to work on the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Today this fruit, the next day another fruit, and another fruit. By the time that I had covered three fruits, I had to go back to the first one. <laughs> and I realized very, very slowly that uh, God's Spirit is working through the Word, through time. Mm-hmm. And time is very important mm-hmm. in that regard. In other words, what we discover through time is how empty many of the things are that we cling to mm-hmm. and we learn to give things up much more readily. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. mike you mentioned um be patient with this idea of the gospel right. being the power to the church right. for change and uh i wondered if you could just say another word about that i was thinking yeah. like let me give you just one yeah, thing I'm sorry. so um Let's say you're at a church and um, God's doing some good things at the church. Mm -hmm. And yet, um, a lot of the people had been at the church, you sort of touched on a little bit of this, without that sort of teaching. And now you've got some older people who are suffering because of health deterioration, things like that. How do you approach that kind of a person who doesn't have a box they don't have a category for what you just explained to us right
2: right yeah I love the little phrase with great patience and careful instruction both of those things are necessary in pastoral ministry so regularly Paul is reminding us be patient be patient yes rebuke the idol but remember how that verse ends be patient with them all and so put this somewhere, either on a little plaque above your desk where you study or emblazing it on your mind somehow, with great patience and careful instruction. So in this situation, it's going to require, you can never get around doing instruction. You've got to teach them. So we had a couple in our church. They came to the membership interview, and the husband said to me, Mike, we came this close to leaving your church. Uh, We'd been there for a year, a year and a half, and and we just kept hearing this gospel. And we thought, when is he going to get on to other stuff? And he said, it wasn't until we got to the book of Galatians, and I'm quoting him here, and he said, and the penny finally dropped. Oh, gospel for believers. And he said, we shudder now to think that we almost left. Mm. Um, So I, I use that illustration because it takes time with great patience and careful instruction. And let's remember, it's not up to us. God's the one doing the work. Mm-hmm. And so in that case, God was kind to preserve them. There was enough about the church to keep them there until the penny dropped. Yeah. So, yeah, there's other things that are part of pastoral ministry. You've got to love people. You've got to know their name. You've got to talk to them. Yeah. And those kinds of things God uses to keep them around long enough to get the truth of the gospel. Yeah. So, That's great. Yep. That's great. You want to add anything to that?
1: Yeah, I was thinking of a, a situation. There was an older man in the church who had heard me preach Sunday after Sunday after yeah. Sunday after mm-hmm. Sunday, and he was in the hospital. He was he was dying, and I went to see him, and he said to me, "He said, Bob. He said, when I die, he said." I'm going to go to hell. And I asked him why he thought that. And he explained to me that he had flown, I think, the B-29s oh, in World War oh, II. Oh, and the, the rule was, if you flew um, 25 missions and you were alive, you got to go home. Yeah. And it was on his 24th mission. Over Japan when his plane got shot up his co-pilot was killed mm. and he himself was injured but he was so enraged that his co-pilot was killed that after he recovered he signed up for 25 more mm. and uh, he said I would drop those bombs and I would swear at those people. I wanted them dead mm. and all in all he flew 76 missions over Japan and when he was on his way back uh, to Michigan, he stopped at some camps. Um, one of which bases, one of which was in California, actually encountered some POWs from Japan, and found out from them they never wanted the war. They just want to go home with their wives and kids. Yeah, yeah. And he realized they didn't have wives and kids anymore because he'd killed them. Yeah, yeah. And so he had this thing all calculated out and said. You know, you can't tell me I was defending my country, maybe for the first twenty five missions, but those last ones were on me mm-hmm. and I have killed thousands of people and when I die I am gonna go to hell. Mm-hmm. And and the only hope that man would ever have would be the gospel. Yeah, that's, right. that's right. And so I just let and, and and the penny hadn't dropped. Yeah. All these years the penny had not dropped because in his mind his sin was so big. Yeah. And I I said to him, his name was Chuck. I said, Chuck. I, I mean, I just let that the, the moment sit for a minute, and then I said, Chuck. I said, you are a big sinner, mm. but Jesus is a bigger savior. Yeah. And then Yeah, yeah. He fin- but but it it was it yeah. was all of those years, finally, him recognizing that. In, even in his case, the promises were true. Mm-hmm. And I believe at that moment, mm-hmm. the Spirit opened his eyes. Mm-hmm. And he got it. Yeah.
0: Praise God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I thought I'd ask a question on this idea of being an example for others. <clears throat> that was such a powerful uh, point, I think, in the conference. Uh, just this idea that, hey, you know, if all you do is get up there and talk a good game, and people see that you're a fraud, mm-hmm. you know, you're you're just undercutting, mm-hmm. you know, your your whole responsibility, your whole goal. Um, so, I was thinking in in this direction, um, two two different questions, um, in trying to be an example for others, particularly leaders in church. Um, what is the role of um, acknowledging you're wrong to the church family. You've made a mistake. You, you've been behaving in a way that isn't helpful. Something like that, because that happens in churches. And So how do you do that? So that's the first question. And then the second question I have is, what accountability structures, if any, do you put in place among your elders, close friends, etc., that serve you so either one of those questions, mm-hmm. uh, fellows, what would you, how would you help us in understanding mm-hmm.
2: that? I'll take a shot at that first one. Um, I think the question always is why. Um, what, what's the heart motivation in terms of you sharing something? Because mm-hmm. um, the the fact of the matter is, you know. In our current day, authenticity is everything. and There can be such a thing as inappropriate self-revelation. I think we better remember we shouldn't forget that. Um, I do think there is something very good about owning your sin, especially if you've sinned against them, well, then own it against them. But don't be parading things for the reason of, hey, look at me, how authentic I am, or look at me. Right. It's very seductive because you preach something that's self-revelatory and people are going to respond to you, they will come up and say, hey, I really appreciated your transparency. Really appreciated your openness. And that can be seductive so that the next time you do it is so that more people will say how much that meant to them. And right there, you're down a path that that is wrong. Um, So I think the bottom line is always, why, really, why am I doing this? Is this because I'm under conviction by God and I need to come clean to some people that I've sinned against? Well, then, good, do that. Um, Is this because I'm trying to manipulate people or trying to to satisfy some cultural expectation? Well, then be very, very cautious. Um, The pulpit, uh, my mother told me very early on, I I told a joke in one of my first sermons. It was dumb. And um, she came up to me afterwards. She said, Michael, the pulpit is no place for frivolity. And I took that to mean more than just frivolity. I took that to mean anything that had to do with calling attention to myself. Mm. And so um, I've used that as a pretty, Mm. I think, helpful guide. Am I up here to call attention to myself? Or am I up here to be a faithful director of people's attention to the Lord and to... His greatness. So, yeah. just as a as a rule, to test why. Yeah. Am I sharing this? Just thought.
3: It's working. Um, I would respond by saying nothing to people, and let our lives shine, so that slowly they can see the work of God in mm-hmm. us. All too often we call attention to ourselves by saying, I used to be this last week, but now I'm going to be different. There's a saying of M- Meister Eckhart, uh, medieval, mystic, but with great insight. He said, and this is the fullness of time when the Son is of God is begotten in us. In other words, in the fullness of time, Christ came. But in the fullness of time, Christ comes again in us where we can incarnate the Lord Jesus Christ. And the best time that we can listen to how we have made progress is at our funeral. When people say some things that we have never heard before. So I think I would agree with Mike that we cannot just call attention to ourselves. It's very much like a person who wants one baptism. Another baptism, another baptism, because of the changes that have taken place in one's life.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's good. Mm
1: -hmm. I'll take a stab at the second part. Yep. Um, Very good counsel. Otherwise, to use the pulpit to draw attention to yourself, you become the message Mm -hmm. instead of the gospel. Mm -hmm. So that is very, very good. But because of the gospel, we do take sin very seriously. And we do recognize that sin is exceedingly deceitful. So we do have to put in place, for the sake of um, protecting the reputation of the gospel, putting things in place into your, into your life. I think this, is, this should be true uh, for, for every man. Um, because of just the deceitful nature of sin, that um, I know for leaders in our church, their accountability, software on all our devices, and that is shared amongst one another. Uh, The elders every month fill out a very detailed questionnaire amongst each other um, in order, and there's there's 12 very invasive (laughs) questions that we ask each other. And... um, Because we are accountable to one another, and we know that while none of us preaches, we we, we tend we we all preach a better life than we live, you know, because we're preaching Jesus, you know. But at the same time, if there is deliberate um, covering of our sin, it is going to, it is gonna, it is gonna crush people. It, It is gonna. Harm the reputation of Christ and the gospel. Mm-hmm. So, taking sin seriously, um, and 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 if somebody is hell bent on finding a way around that, they're sure. they're going to do it. Sure. Okay, sure. we know that. Right. But we try to <clears throat> put up those kinds of things just as reminders to us. This is this, this is really is a serious thing because because there are seasons, moments, the times of of discouragement, times of weakness, times in which you are prone to wonder. All of us are. And so I think these things can be good um, disciplines that are,
0: that are helpful. <coughs> uh, what pitfalls are there? Can you do accountability wrong, in other words?
1: I mean, yeah. If you turn it into a bunch of navel gazing mm-hmm. in which you are always just looking at yourself you are always going to be discouraged yeah. because you are never progressing the way that you want you are this you know, the, you're always going to find reasons to condemn yourself always that's why mm-hmm. paul said what he said in romans 8 because we're always so yes yeah. um yeah. and you so you can't you cannot do the accountability stuff without a view toward the gospel, and it come out well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Yes, yeah. have anything you want to add to that?
2: I mean, the thing that comes to my mind is you can do accountability according to the law, or you can do accountability according to the gospel. Yeah. Um, now, the law has a function, as we all know, but interestingly, its function, at least one of its functions, is to increase the visibility of sin in our lives. Mm-hmm. And so there is a function of law in accountability, but if the, if the atmosphere, if the climate of our accountability is law instead of gospel. You, you probably all have heard this little, little small bit of poetry. Run, John, run. Do you know this? Run, John, run. The law demands, but gives us neither feet nor hands. Much better news the gospel brings. It bids us fly and gives us wings. So uh, I want to do our accountability gospel-like um, because it equips us for holiness as opposed to just pointing out our sin mm-hmm. yeah.
0: that's, good. that's good. so if there are pitfalls in accountability then perhaps there's pitfalls in the gospel center approach itself mm-hmm. could you speak to what those pitfalls might be and how yeah. we can fight against them yeah
2: so let me just reiterate the thing I was trying to say at the end
0: of that last talk with a
2: gentle warning I think any one of these paradigm-type things, any one of these ways, can now become an end in itself. Um, and so we can somehow pat ourselves on the back that we're gospel-centered. Um, it can become the, you know the defining, identifying thing. And um, as much as I believed in this, I don't want it robbing uh, me or anyone else of what it's pointing to. And so I I remember one of the first times I gave this talk, a a guy did come and say to me, it's Jesus. And I thought, oh, I've I've, I've failed to to help this guy see that the gospel is in fact the word about Jesus, which is why I included in, in the talk today, for example, let's not drive a wedge between these two things. When the Bible says gospel, that's a good word. I don't want to lose gospel. But let's not fall short of what it's referring to, the life and the work of Christ. And so one of the things I so appreciated, something that Willem was was sharing with us yesterday, um, this whole idea of being enthralled with God. And if the outcome of our gospel centrality is not things like joy, things like um, a uh, uh, an increased uh, appreciation of the beauty of God, um, these are the kinds of things we would expect if gospel centrality is doing its work. Yeah. As opposed to we've all gotten better at gospel centrality. Right. Um, the fruit of this is going to be joy in Christ. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, there's yeah. pitfalls all around. you want to add anything to that?
3: Yeah, let me just say something in terms of legalism and, on the other hand, libertarianism. We can define the gospel in terms of doing certain things that are not essential to the gospel. Uh, And there is always a danger in Christianity that we want to have steps. We do this and that and that. And that is really not the gospel. The essence of the gospel is freedom in Christ. (laughs) And we have to defend that. But at the same time, libertarianism is not very helpful. Because then we can do anything we want Uh, Even to the point of excesses of things that are by themselves not bad but become excesses and it's such a sad thing when you have seminarians who understand something in terms of Christian freedom and become excessive in that regard where they cannot just be happy with one glass of wine. It has to be coming to the point of intoxication and I think there is a tremendous danger Mm. for us to test the freedoms that we have mm-hmm. in Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. That's good. Um, you want to add something?
0: Yeah, I was just going to say do you have any resources that you want to recommend to us? So Mike's I want to a say step ahead of me, as yeah. you might expect.
2: I want to say something about this book. It's called A Gospel Primer. Um, it is, in my opinion, the finest thing to help you in carrying another step forward, what I talked about in this last session. So this book is. Um, it's, it's really wonderfully mapped out in three sections. There's 31 reasons to preach the gospel to yourself. That's the first section. And it just walks through real life, real ordinary things and shows how the gospel speaks to that kind of thing. Um, the second section is a um, prose summary of the gospel. And the third section is kind of a poetic summary of the gospel. It's really quite charmingly done. And so... I, I kept this book right next to my nightstand for a long time. Um, and read it. I had the privilege of writing the foreword to this book. And uh, when you read it, you'll understand why I said some of the things I said about this book. This is gold. And so I would commend this to you, especially if you are for your own life and in your ministry trying to operationalize the stuff we talked about last hour. Mm-hmm. Gospel Primer, Milton Vincent, uh, it's a wonderful little tool.
0: And you're going to buy it anyway, so you might as well buy it for half the price in the bookstore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a great
2: price, by the way, on yeah, the front of that thing.
0: Yeah. So, any other resources? Any fellows want to uh, recommend to us?
3: Let me just say that some of you know the name Henry Nowen. Anyone familiar with Henry Nouwen? N-O-U-W-E-N. Sorry, a Dutch name again. <laughs> You cannot trust the Dutch. (laughs) But anyway, Henry Nouwen is a Catholic and wrote about inner struggles. And one of the books is Reaching Out. I've encouraged people, especially in ministry, to get it. Because all too often we reach out to people so that we can reach out to ourselves. And we want people then to console us. And our relationship with God is not authentic. Because we see God as a therapist. What true worship is. When we learn to be physicians. To ourselves. We can diagnose the problems. For example spiritual depression. We can see likewise our love for compliments. And all kinds of spiritual disease. And we have to take responsibility for our own lives. When we see that we are leaning on people or on God for all the wrong reasons. And the gospel is there to see that there is healing in us so that the word of God can penetrate us. It is like the WD-40. Wherever we are rusty, there God's spirit is working in us. Then we can be authentic with people and really love them rather than to see that people are going to be used by us. And we also can be much more worshipful of God so yes I'm sorry to say that Henry Nowen was a Catholic theologian but there have been good things coming out of the Catholic church in the best sense of the word we have to think about Augustine and in a sense we are also Catholic as long as we focus in on the gospel and what you find in Nowen is that he is not talking about Mary and all the other things hmm. but a, Person with a deep personal awareness of our own shortcomings. Mm. As people, oh, thank you.
0: Bob, do you want anything, or do you think of another one? one? Okay. All right, I think I think we've come to that time. Brad, do you want to come up here and close us? Brad's a good friend, uh, elder over at Berean Baptist, uh, where this conference uh, started. Dear friend of mine, my first accountability partner, mm. and uh, so yeah, close our conference for us.
4: Let's pray. God, it is good to be among your people. It's been good to worship together mm-hmm. uh, in the gospel. The fellowship has been rich, and we're, we're thankful for that. We're thankful for these good brothers um, that have taken away from their own churches and their own ministries to come. And to serve us here in this place, Um, Lord, we've been given much to chew on. And I'm thankful that it isn't a bunch of 12 steps to this or five ways to do that. Uh, I'm thankful that we have been saturated with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And Lord, I pray that you would be at work in each one of our hearts in each one of the churches that we participate in, in each one of the homes that you have called us to lead. God, may you minister your gospel to us and then through us Mm -hmm. for the good of your people and for the good of your church and to the glory of the God that has so graciously given everything for us. We pray this.